0: To the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. And today we're continuing our series called Understanding the Book of Revelation. And one of the biggest challenges that we've seen in this book is that you can become mesmerized by the wild visions and miss the fact that God is speaking about our lives and the challenges that we all face. Today's passage is written to address what I think the dilemma that Demi Lovato and Sam Fisher expressed in the song, What Other People Say. I won't sing, but I'll read you the lyrics, and it goes like this. thought when I grew up, I would be the same as the ones who gave me my last name. I would not give in. I would not partake in the same old drugs everyone else takes. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I'm living my life so I go to heaven and never come back. But look where I'm at. Look where I'm at. I'm living the life that I said I wouldn't. I want to go back. I used to call my mom every Sunday so she knew her love wasn't far away. But now I'm all messed up out in L.A. because I care more about what other people say. I used to not take chances with God's name, but now it's been so long since I prayed and now I'm all messed up and my heart's changed because I care more about what other people say. Many of you know people close to you who could have written that song. And there are some who are hearing me even now who will walk in the path that this song describes. God wants to save you from that regret. He wants to rescue you from that pain. And he does that in today's chapter with a vision of eternity. It's a vision that we lose sight of today. Today, it's more popular to talk of living in the moment or living for the weekend. But living for today or for the moment or the weekend only makes sense if tomorrow never comes. And we all know that it does. Tomorrow, you live with the consequences of the decisions you make today. And when you die, you'll live with the consequences of the decisions you make in this life. Today's passage teaches us how to live in light of eternity instead of just living for the moment. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, you can click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Revelation 14, verses 1 to 13. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the the sound of loud thunder. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment is come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. This is the word of God. Now, this passage addresses three kinds of people, people who live with the hope of heaven, people who live in denial of hell, and people who will be surprised where they end up. Let's start with the people who live with the hope of heaven. The chapter begins with a vision of heaven that's intended to encourage and inspire. Back in chapter 7, we were already introduced to the 144,000 and we said that this was symbolic of the people of God. 12 tribes multiplied by 12 apostles multiplied by a thousand gives you a neat representation of God's people in the Old and New Covenants. In the first vision, they were on earth. In this vision, they're in heaven. In the first vision, they were lined up for a spiritual battle. Now they're singing in heavenly victory. It says in verse one that they have the name of the lamb and the name of the father written on their foreheads. It's not a literal tattoo. The point is that they have God's mark, his seal. They belong to God. I I picture the name written on their foreheads a little bit like in Toy Story where Andy writes uh, his own name on the bottom of the boot of his favorite toy, Woody. It's a mark of affection. It says, I don't want to ever lose you. I want people to know that you're mine. That's how God feels toward his people. And whether you recognize it or not, you long for that sense of belonging. But when you just live in the moment or live for today, the temptation is to seek that belonging people who lead you down paths you'll regret. That's what Sam Fisher and Demi Lovato are describing in the song that I read for you. It's only as you receive the warmth of acceptance and belonging in a relationship with God that you can resist the pull of what people say. It's this hope of heaven tomorrow that gives you the power to resist temptation today. But you need to live in light of eternity, not just live in the moment. Now, in verses 2 and 3, the picture of heaven expands. God's people are singing, but not quite like we normally do at church, (laughs) In verse 2, it says, it was like the roar of many waters. Here it's describing the volume. It's like you're standing behind Niagara Falls. It also says it was like the sound of loud thunder. Their voices boom and echo. They weren't timid or half-hearted. They sang loud, full, and free. We don't always do that, do we? Sometimes it's because you don't know the song. Sometimes it's because you don't like the song. Sometimes it's because you can't sing the song and other times your heart's just not in it. You're distracted. Heaven won't be like that. Part of the reason is that we'll have new bodies and we won't have to worry about nodes and sore throats or masks. If you can't sing now, you will be able to sing then. Verse two says the sound of the singing was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. If we're honest, Most of us don't don't sound like harps when we sing. But in heaven, the voices of God's people will boom with beautiful tones and harmonies unlike anything you've ever heard before. It'll echo with eternal delight. The closest I've come to experiencing something like that was my first visit to a Japanese soccer match. I could hear the singing from my car already as I approached the parking lot. When I got out, I thought I was hearing the celebration of a goal. I had a 10-minute walk to get to the stadium, and as I approached, the singing only got louder. People were swaying and dancing in between the seats with their arms locked together. And as I looked at the field, I realized I hadn't gotten the time wrong. The game was still 40 minutes away, but people were singing at the top of their lungs in anticipation of all that was to come. That's a tiny fraction of the celebration there will be in heaven verse 3 says that it's a new song they sing. In the Old Testament, that's a term that's always used to describe the celebration of God's victory. Here, they're singing about God's victory at the cross, redeeming them from sin and all of its consequences. But the verse ends with these words, no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And this is so different than the way people imagine heaven. They picture heaven without God, without worship, and without holiness. They think about family reunions and streets of gold. But they forget what fuels the celebration of heaven. They reject the idea that there's only one way to heaven. But what they miss is that if they haven't been truly redeemed by Jesus, they won't even be able to sing the songs. It's God's presence, God's acceptance, God's love, God's mercy, and God's salvation that will make heaven heavenly. That's what fills you with eternal joy. It'll make you sing with a euphoria that the best of this world can only whet your appetite for. But only if you've received that love, only if you've responded to that salvation. If you're going to be one of the people enjoying that eternal celebration, you can't just live in the moment. You can't just live for today. You have to live with one eye on eternity. It's the anticipation of tomorrow's glory that gives you the strength to resist the temptations of today. Be one of the people who live with the hope of heaven. And don't be one of the people who live in denial of hell. There are people who live as if tomorrow will never come. They explain away God's judgment and hope that there's a happily ever after. Starting in verse six, there's a vision for people who live in denial of hell. An angel appears in the sky and it's declaring the eternal gospel to all the earth. It says that the message will go out to every nation and tribe and language and people. And the word gospel just means good news. It's an announcement of all that Jesus has done to provide forgiveness for our sins. But the angel's announcement of good news feels more desperate than usual. Verse 7 says this, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. The point is that the gospel is good news, but it invites a response. And on the other side of that invitation is judgment. If you won't respond in repentance and faith to the Savior who gave his very life to save you, then there is no more hope, only an expectation of judgment. Verse 8 describes why so many people refuse to respond. It says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Babylon was the capital city of the ancient Babylonian Empire. It was the original home of the Tower of Babel and the seat of power for the nation that conquered God's people in 586 BC. It came to represent every way which society seeks to enforce godless values in the people who live in its shadow. Babylon describes the way that social, political and economic systems are used to pressure people to conform to the world. John's readers would have immediately identified it with Rome. Today, Babylon's allure can be felt through Instagram and YouTube and many other things. It's a cultural wind that makes it unacceptable to say things that are at odds with the world's values. Babylon is what the song What Other People Say is all about. People will give up their convictions, their values, their beliefs, and their hearts in order to fit in and get along. That's why it describes Babylon as making the nations drinker wine. It promises pleasure and relief now, as long as you give up your inhibitions about tomorrow. But when tomorrow comes, Babylon, it says, will have fallen. You'll have a hangover and you'll realize that you traded away far more than you bargained for. Now the third angel, describes the terrible consequences that are to come in verses 9 to 11 those who drank babylon's wine will drink the wine of god's wrath now it's picturing all of god's righteous anger at our sins stored up like a fermented poison and poured full strength into a cup that we're made to drink when it describes being tormented with fire and sulfur in verse 10 it's translated fire and brimstone in king, in the king james version It's warning of the same kind of judgment that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, except it's unending. Verse 11 says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Some people think that if there's no heaven, they'll just go to sleep and it'll all be over. But the Bible says there's no rest. The judgment is constant. Some people think that this is just a vision, and it is. Does God really use fire and sulfur and a cup for his anger? Probably not. But these are ways of describing something worse, not something better. The point is, God's punishment when it comes is beyond what our words or even our human concepts can convey. Some people think that God will just destroy sinners. John Stott famously believed in annihilationism. But the torment here goes on forever and ever. And one of the reasons for that is that there's no repentance in hell. There's no indication that anyone gets to hell and turns over a new leaf, starts loving their neighbors and praising the Lord. People keep on sinning and keep on earning more of God's judgment. And smoke goes up forever. The first concert I ever saw was in middle school. ACDC was famous at the time for their song, Highway to Hell. It mocked the biblical idea of hell and portrayed it as a big party where all your friends are going to be. But this passage doesn't describe anything even vaguely resembling a party. If everyone is experiencing eternal torment, who's going to buy the drinks? And Released from the common grace that restrains sin in this life, the people in hell wouldn't even commiserate with you if they could. It'll be a place of dark, lonely, unceasing, and excruciating pain. If you've ever heard of fire and brimstone preaching, (laughs) that's literally what this is. And I don't take any pleasure in it. But if you're living for the moment, Or if you're being tempted to live for the moment and you're pretending as if hell doesn't exist, then warning you of its reality is the most loving thing I could ever do for you. Don't just live for the moment. Don't just live for today. And don't live in denial of God's judgment. Now, we've talked about people who live with the hope of heaven and people who live in denial of hell. And in one sense, we could have just leave it here but one of the ways that people live in denial of hell is by wrongly assuming that they're going to heaven. And so we need to walk back through this passage and consider the people who will be surprised where they end up. In the Bible, people either end up in heaven or hell. There's no medium place. There's no halfway point. People like to imagine heaven without reference to God, but it doesn't work like that. It's not a test where we get to set our own questions and grade our own work. According to verse 1, only ones who enter heaven are the people who stand with the Lamb and are marked as belonging to him. Verse 3 calls them the redeemed of the earth. The only way you get into heaven is if Jesus has saved you from your sins. That's a gift that you receive through faith in him. So, have you put your trust in Jesus? Do you know that you belong to him? If you're expecting Jesus to stand with you in heaven one day, how are you standing with him on earth today? If you expect to belong to God's people in heaven one day, what are the ways that you're showing that you belong to God's people on earth today? If you think heaven is a solo mission, you're mistaken. Heaven isn't for people who never belonged. Don't be caught up among those who are surprised where they end up. Now verses 12 and 13 are the climax of this chapter. They stand in the middle of a section running from 6 to 20 with three visions of angels on either side. Hear the message. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Do you remember how we read in verse 11 that those in hell have no rest day or night? Here it says that in heaven, there'll be rest for God's people. The battle will be over, the struggle will be behind you. But that rest is only promised to those who endure. It's a promise held out to those who hold on to Jesus. It's for those who continue to cling to God's commands and don't let go of their faith in Jesus. When it talks of those who die in the Lord, it's a broad term. It includes those who die for their faith, but it isn't just them. It's all who die with faith. Because the warning of the whole book is that many will be seduced in the last days. People will turn away. People will give up. People will give in. And as long as you live in the moment, that's what you're in danger of doing, too. We need to live with an eye to eternity. Salvation is a free gift that we receive through faith. But we show that our faith is real by continuing in it. Heaven isn't for those who turn back. Don't be caught among those who are surprised where they end up. Finally, heaven isn't for those who won't follow. Trusting in Jesus involves trusting him with our lives. People who have done that will follow in his footsteps. Verse four describes him like this. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. It's not that we don't sin, but our lives are no longer characterized by sin. True faith will involve a change in direction. Now our primary orientation is toward Jesus. We follow him in obedience. That's also why the 144,000 are portrayed as virgins in verse 4. It's not that God doesn't accept married people, but God's people are the ones who resist adultery with the world. We're the ones who resist the wine of Babylon's immorality. It's talking about purity before God and loyalty to Christ. But it's not a coincidence that sexuality is part of it. Show me someone who's turned their back on God, and chances are they've also compromised God's sexual standards. You gradually become like whatever you worship. Heaven isn't for those who won't follow. So do you belong to God? Do you stand with God's people? By faith in Jesus, have you become one of the redeemed? And have you learned to follow him? Have you learned to say no to the wine of Babylon's seduction? If you can't say yes to those questions, settle them in your heart now before it's too late. Make things right with God before you're caught in a judgment that the world keeps telling you to ignore. If you do belong to God and you stand confidently with his people, then live in light of eternity instead of just living in the moment. Keep one eye on the eternal belonging you'll enjoy in God's presence. Find your assurance in the fact that God's put his name on you. He's set his love on you. And one day you'll stand with him in glory. Find your hope in that roaring choir. When people's opinions and their approval starts to feel more important than it should, remember that in heaven, there's only one group that you'll ever want to be a part of. And there's only one person whose opinion will ultimately matter. We'll sing with eternal delight, in his presence and his love will heal all our wounds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a hope that is too wonderful to imagine. And this is just a snapshot of it. There's so much more, so much more that you have planned, a paradise that we will enjoy for all eternity in your presence. But the most wonderful thing about heaven is its host. You are what makes heaven heavenly. And so, Father, we long for those who don't know you, those who haven't turned to you, those who haven't received the gift of your salvation. Father, if there is anyone who is being tempted by the world, anyone who is being drawn, drawn aside. And if there is anyone who hears this invitation to heaven and longs to respond, give them the courage to come to Jesus, to receive a gift that is free and full. Do that work in our hearts, Father, we ask. And as we look to you, We pray that we might live our lives focused on eternity and looking to you and all that you have promised us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to live in light of eternity instead of just living in the moment. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. And if you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless, and see you next time.